the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This morning, I want to talk about the role models that we have in our lives and in our worlds. When you think of the idea of a role model, an individual, we think of them as people that we like to emulate, to copy. People who we want to follow in some way or another, whether it's their success, it's their morality, their style, even their fashion sense. That's what a role model is. Today, however, we have a problem with role models. You hear it all the time. People accusing or yelling at celebrities, athletes who may have done something inappropriate with uh, another uh, person of the opposite sex or with uh, illegal narcotics. And you often hear moms say things like this, you're a role model. You need to be a better example to the children, to the fans who look up to you. And the problem for me isn't that they aren't acting in a way that is appropriate for kids or those that follow them. The problem is that they are considered role models in the first place. You see, our society automatically places celebrities in the position of role model rather than making those who should be role models celebrities. We want to follow who's popular. We want to follow the rich and famous, and we make them role models even though they don't have anything to follow in terms of morality, for example, and then we try to make them moral or pressure them to be moral. And we even see how a lot of celebrities get in trouble because they aren't being right role models, and yet, according to their standards and even the law, they've done nothing wrong. The problem is that just because they're famous, people want to follow them, and they're placed in the position of role model. But isn't that just the way of the world? In the church, too, we have certain role models that we should follow and have certain role models that we shouldn't follow. In fact, even in Scripture, there are many people, even nations, that are set forth for us by God as examples to warn us, as examples of people not to follow, the disobedience of Israel as a nation, the the Pharisees, the scribes who Jesus condemns and were trying to attack Jesus and ultimately put him to death. As if we didn't have enough problems with our sins of pride and materialism and worldliness, we have people all around us who extol these negative role models due to social values. This is what the world wants. This is what the culture is all about. And so we, in turn, even as Christians, we want to follow these people, even when we know better. And so this morning, I want to ask you this question. Who is your role model? Who do you follow? I don't mean who you would tell me as your pastor who your role model is. I mean, if you were to honestly evaluate your heart and your life, your thinking and your actions, who do you want to be more like? Who do you envy? Who do you wish you were? Who do you follow on your Google alerts or on uh, social media or even celebrity gossip? 
or perhaps even more to the point, who has the most influence on your values and your behavior? Is it someone from Scripture? Is it Jesus himself? Or is it a tech giant? Or is it your favorite basketball player? Or actor or actress or model? Over the next two or three weeks, we will be unpacking this passage that will help us answer that question properly so that when we say who is our role model, the answer is the right answer. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13, and we'll be looking at, the, at this passage this morning as well as uh, for sure next week and possibly the week after. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. Let me read that for you. Paul writes to the Corinthians, You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Well, as I mentioned before reading this passage, these verses will help us answer the question, who is your role model? On one hand, it may reveal who your role models truly are, because I think oftentimes what we do is we know that we are to follow Jesus Christ, and he has given us examples, not only in Scripture, but in Christians around us. But we take cues from the world, and of course, to a certain degree, that is okay. We, we want to be a good testimony. We want to be good stewards. We want to use our money wisely. We want to dress appropriately. We want to have homes and families and jobs. But I think you understand that when we have a worldly individual as a role model, it is because we want to be as successful as they are, as popular, as pretty, as handsome, dress as well, whatever it may be. And we will answer this question as we go through this passage in regards to six different areas of life, six specific areas of life that Paul addresses here as he speaks to the Corinthians and rebukes them. And so our outline this morning and for the following weeks is six critical areas of life, six critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. And that is very important. Because you will see that these six areas that we'll look at over the next few weeks are, are, are core areas of your life, core areas of your spiritual walk. And they are determined by who you choose to follow. And I'm not talking about Jesus. Of course we follow Jesus. We are born again. If you're truly a Christian, the Spirit resides in you, you follow Him. What I'm talking about is role models on earth or in history. This morning, we will look at the first two critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. The first is spirituality. Spirituality. Let me read for you again verse 8. You are already filled. 
you have already become rich. You have become kings without us, and indeed, I wish that you had had become kings so that we also might reign with you. What you're going to see in this passage is that Paul uh, uses for a, uh, not just for his, for his own ego, we know that's not true, not, not to shame or belittle the Corinthians, which will clarify uh, after this passage, but he uses irony and sarcasm to drive home the point, to emphasize uh, the, the foolishness of the Corinthians' thinking. And it's, if you look at verse 8, it, it's not that the Corinthians are actually kings or even in any way superior to the apostles. He is sarcastically addressing the sin of pride that the Corinthians are exhibiting. And so you would probably do the same thing if you were going to use irony and especially if you were going to use sarcasm to address pride, you would probably do something similar and and sarcastically talk about how great these people are to highlight the fact that they aren't. Well, let's dive into the text. He starts by saying, you have been filled or you have all you want in the ESV and NIV. And the word, the phrase means to be satisfied with food, to have enough, to be satiated, to, com- to be completely stuffed. Uh, this is actually a picture of farm animals, which you understand that farm animals are very different than animals in the wild in that they are often overfed. And so you picture uh, an animal on the farm uh, which would be much larger than an animal, that same animal, were it to be in the wild. You, say, you see the same thing with pets, for example. And so this is the idea. Uh, if, it, if it hurts a little, as I explained this, it should. It's the idea of after having a, a really big meal where you're already full and it's just so good that you eat a little more. It hurts a little. But here's the idea that Paul is bringing out when he says this. He's basically saying, what more could you want? What more could you want? And this is the idea to the Corinthians. You have everything you want, as the ESV and NIV translate it. In fact, Paul continues in the verse and says, you have so much that you are kings without us. And of course, in that context, and to to a certain degree in our context today, a king is the highest. There's, There's no higher that you can go on the earthly realm. And so you have everything that you want. Now, of course, in this context, Paul is speaking of the spiritual, not not physical food or physical uh, possessions. And what he's saying is that the Corinthians are acting so superior that they really are acting as if they need nothing else from Paul or even God. The Corinthians are acting so conceited, it's as if that they have become spiritual kings with no need for their pastors, teachers, and apostles. And even though these people have been instrumental in their lives, they're acting as if they did it on their own. And the point draws from all that Paul has been teaching them that we've seen so far uh, in 1 Corinthians. We saw that the apostles are humble servants of God. The reality of Christian service and Christianity in general is the fact of serving another individual, namely God. And then after that, and because of that, we then serve others, which specifically is, well, others, everyone, Christian and non-Christian. And so when you understand that your role and the Corinthians' role and Paul's role and Apollos' and 
Peter's, and even Jesus when he was here on earth, their role, their very being was to serve others, be below others. There's no room for pride and arrogance in the role of Christian. We ended last week in verse 7 where Paul asked the rhetorical questions that highlight the logical response of humility in the Christian's heart and life. Uh, Look at verse 7. He says, for who regards you as superior? Rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Next question. What do you have that you did not receive? Specifically from God. Nothing. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And if you remember, he's basically reminding them that all this stuff you're bragging about, this is from the Lord. Your spiritual gifts, your abilities. So you, you recognize, Corinthians, that everything's from God. So why are you acting as if you earned it? Patting yourself on the back, causing division, as we know they were doing in the church. The questions that we saw in verse 7 demand a position of gratitude and humility. And the passage this morning is Paul showing the antithesis between the Corinthians and himself or all the apostles that furthers that response of gratitude and humility. Those questions and their inherent answers provide the perfect backdrop in verse 7 to what we're looking at in verse 8. Because Paul is further driving home the point of their sinful and unwarranted pride, arrogance, and conceit. They're acting as if they don't need anything else. Not just from Paul or any other spiritual leader, but as I said earlier, even from God. In other words, they're acting as if they've arrived. They're there. And so go back to the terminology that Paul uses here. Right? You, you can picture a lion. Right? If you ever watch these nature shows, lions spend most of their time just resting. And the lion, after catching and eating his prey, sitting in the field resting, he's stuffed. He has everything he needs. There is no point to exert himself trying to hunt for more food. He's fully satiated. And this is how the Corinthians are acting. Picture the king on his throne, not a modern day king like in the UK, but a king in that day where people were fighting and and murdering each other to become king. And so there's this king on his throne. The battle is won. The training is done. The political maneuvering is over. He's on the throne. He's the king. Don't tell him what to do. Don't give him advice. Don't treat him like a commoner. Don't even treat him like a prince. He is the king. He has no need for anyone else. He's arrived. He has no need. And when you take these illustrations into the spiritual realm, as Paul is, there is an an, an implication that the Corinthians are acting as if they've already received their crowns from God that we don't receive until the end of time. They're acting as if they already received their reward. So, like the resting lion and the king on his throne, why keep striving? There's no need for the Christian who's arrived, who's already gotten the well-done, good and faithful servant to continue striving and battling sin in a desire to serve and glorify God. You're done. There's nothing else. You have everything you want. You're a king. 
And what's more, the Corinthians are acting as if they were able to achieve all of this without the apostles. That's equivalent of us saying all of this without our pastors, without our disciples, without the scriptures. They didn't need Paul to preach the gospel to them. At least they're acting that way. They didn't need Apollos to teach them. They're acting as if they've achieved it all themselves. But the key is they didn't. But they're acting like they did. And and probably none of them would say that they've arrived. None of them would say we don't need further teaching. We don't need the scriptures. But they're acting like it. And Paul is emphasizing what pride is saying in essence when you act this way. And extreme as these pictures may be, I think we would all agree that these are appropriate Uh, explanations or illustrations of pride. This is what it looks like. This is how it acts. This is what it says. Pride wants to take the credit. Pride wants to serve and not, or rather wants to be served and not serve. Pride wants to fight and divide because you're the best. So if someone else says they're a king, someone else says they've arrived, then you will fight them on that. And it's not that Paul is wanting the credit. He's not saying, you need to acknowledge that I've helped, how much I've helped you. And we know this from how he describes himself, namely a servant and a steward. And he'll draw more on that in, in, in the following verses. He's just trying to emphasize for them that they need to pursue humility and on the specific level, stop dividing the church. So let's make a logical connection here. If Paul is a humble servant, but the Corinthians are kings, then not only are the Corinthians acting as if they didn't need Paul, but they are acting as if without Paul, they were able to achieve an even higher status than Paul, a greater wisdom than Paul and the apostles. That's the problem. And again, if that's the case, you can imagine how they would look down upon Paul. And even those who are claiming the faction of Paul would probably do the same because as we've seen all along, claiming a faction of anyone is just another way to feed your own pride. Now, as Christians today, we may not call ourselves kings or queens. We may not disregard or cut out the people that have been influential in our lives, those who are integral parts of your testimony. But we do act sometimes as if we are smarter than others, better than others. We don't need them anymore. And I know, you you know, the, 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 the gut reaction to this is to say, you know what, Roger, I don't really think that way. I I don't really do that. Sure you do. The, The Corinthians would say the same thing, that they're not doing that. But we do it all the time. Every time you feel compelled to give unsolicited advice. Every time you feel the need to correct someone else. Every time you judge another person, look down on another person, see a difference between you and another person without recognizing God's grace and provision, whether it lifts you up or puts you down. That is all pride. And here's the problem when we do that, as the Corinthians did. When it comes to spiritual role models, We are either choosing the world or we are choosing the apostles. The world says to be self-made, to be self-confident. The world is confused when the scriptures call pride a sin. 
The world says step on others for your own wealth and advancement and even comfort. And then when asked, take all the credit. The world says get what you want, how you want it, so long as you are comfortable, so long as you get what you want, regardless of how it makes other people feel or even how it makes them live. The apostles, on the other hand, it's very simple. They humbly bow and say, word up to me, I'd be dead, damned, or destroyed. But God. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll look exactly at what Paul believes, thinks, and lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He explains that outside of God, who he was, who we all are, who the Corinthians are. And if there's any a time that you forget grace, that you don't appreciate the gospel, that you get proud, go to Ephesians chapter 2, my favorite chapter in the Bible. Let me start in verse 1. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all, all of us, formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And just a point of clarification in verse 3, if you say, well, I really never struggled with, with sexual lust before, that's not all it's talking about. Any desire, sinful desire for anything, and all unbelievers have it, whether it's something physical like, like money or, or a family or a home or, or even popularity or friends or even no friends so that you can be alone. Any sinful desire indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were nat- by nature, in other words, at birth, by our very essence, at our very core. There's nothing we could do about it. We were children, not of grace, not of mercy, but of Wrath, every single human being that has ever lived. Children of wrath. We were in the crosshairs of God's sniper rifle. And verses 1 through 3 talks about just how utterly hopeless all men are without Christ. And that, that is what happens when you don't have God or His people. Do it on your own. And verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2 is who you are. You are spiritually dead. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, as we just sang, even as we were sinking down, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. See, when we choose the world as our role model for spirituality, we are missing the blessing Christ promises for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, look at the terminology. Right? In, in, the, in the Beatitudes, Jesus Christ says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the Corinthians, Paul is saying the Corinthians are the opposite of hungering and thirsting. They are full. They are full. And that perhaps highlights another issue here that we've kind of mentioned already. That if you're full, 
you think you have everything you need for righteousness sake, you're not going to hunger for it. You're not going to wake up and say, I wish I hadn't done that last, last night. I need to pray. I need to search the scriptures. I need to repent. I need to change my behavior. You're not going to do that because you've already arrived. There's also an inherent ignorance when you act like the Corinthians of the fact that suffering precedes glory. Suffering precedes glory. There's, there's no need to, for this perfecting, this refining through trials that God gives us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. That speaks of this point. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if... Indeed, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.